Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Week 14 of the NFL season of the NFL season just passed, and we're starting to grasp an idea of which teams are gonna dominate in the playoffs and which teams are starting to clinch a playoff spot and which ones aren't. They're starting to be teams get knocked out of the playoffs completely. The Lions did, obviously. And the Texans have, the Jets have. A lot of teams are starting to get knocked out. And there's also teams starting to clinch their spot. But we're starting to get more of an idea of which teams are going to truly dominate in the playoffs, such as the Packers, the Rams, teams like that, the Buccaneers. And speaking of the Buccaneers, that's the... First team I want to talk about. They played against the Bills. It looked like it was going to be a very interesting game, and it was a very interesting game. It went into overtime, and Brasad Perriman caught a 68-yard ball or caught a ball around three yards away from the line of scrimmage and took it 68 yards for a touchdown for the Buccaneers to win that game. The, the Buccaneers aren't slowing down at all. They are still the same dominant force that we thought that they were going to be at the end of the year last year, and they're continuing to do it. This team has talent all over the board, and now they have a legitimate running game plus the dominant passing game that they had at the end of last year that won them a Super Bowl. Leonard Fournette had 19 rushes for 113 yards and a touchdown. Brady completed 31 out of 46 passes for 363 yards and two touchdowns. One touchdown to Brasad Perriman, winning them the game, like I said. And Mike Evans also had a touchdown with 91 yards on top of that. But the player who was the most important for this win was Chris Godwin, who was getting open on a constant basis. When you look at this team, it's just crazy how they can attack you in so many different ways. Like I said, running the ball with Leonard Fournette. Chris Godwin in the flats, always open. Mike Evans down the sideline. Rob Gronkowski on the middle of the field. There is always just someone open or someone that could just beat your guy even if they're not open, like Mike Evans, like Rob Gronkowski. It, it There's no way to truly game plan for this offense because they know how to beat everything. Tom Brady has seen everything. He's been in the league for so long. You can't confuse him, and they have enough talent to beat you in any different way. They know how to beat every coverage, and they have the players to beat every coverage and every different look that you can give them. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this is the Buccaneers League. We're just playing in it. There is nothing any team can do to slow them down. And now that the defense is starting to get healthy, they're unstoppable on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. I, I mean, if I'm a defensive coordinator playing against this team, I, I have no idea what to throw at them. No idea. There's no way to stop them. And even an offensive coordinator, because like I said, the defense looks unstoppable now. With Carlton Davis back, and that that front seven has been dominant all year. With Vita Vea, who was injured for a little bit, but he's back. Levante David, Devin White. That is a tough defense to run on, and now with Carlton Davis back, like I said, and Sean Murphy Bunton, you're not going to be able to throw on them either. And let's say that you do score, now you also have to have your defense come out there and stop Brady and this dynamic offense from scoring. There, There's no way to beat this Buccaneers team, it looks like. It looks virtually unstoppable. And th- this is... This team might be better than the one that won the Super Bowl. I I mean, you look at it and what they've been doing. Now they have a legitimate running game on top of that extremely good passing game from last year. I keep saying it. With Leonard Fournette and how good he's been, that's the difference between this team this year and the team last year. That's the huge difference. Let's move over to the Cowboys, who beat Washington 27-20. There was a lot of drama surrounding this game because Mike McCarthy said before the game that he guaranteed a victory, which 
it, it's safe to assume most coaches do that. They go into games thinking they're going to win. Like that's safe to assume. But most of the time, coaches don't let that information out. They don't show how cocky they are to the entire media. That's just not what you do. Because then if you go out and lose, it looks really bad for you. Luckily for the Cowboys, they didn't go out and lose. And there was a point in the game where it looked like they were going to have a shutout. And it really seemed like Mike McCarthy was backing up what he was saying. And then Washington got 20 points. And the Cowboys got three. The Cowboys still won this game. And they should be happy that they won it. But with how much talent that they have and what this team should be, this game should not have been this close. You look at what this team is. You look at the roster. You look at everything about this team. They should not have had such a close game against Washington, especially with how well they played it to start it. I have a friend. He's a Cowboys friend. And I, I remember after the Thursday night game against the Saints, he walked up to me during lunch and said if the Saints offense was fully healthy, they'd definitely lose that game. Without a doubt. And he just asked because, like I said, you look at the you look at the roster. How, how are they this – not necessarily bad, but they should be much, much better. What's the problem with it? Why, why are they not as good as they – as they look like they would be, and as Cowboys fans expected them to be. And I said, they just can't run away with the lead. It's not any problem with what they do. They run the ball well, they throw it well, they have a good defense. It's not any problem with that. They just, when they are winning, they don't go in for the kill. They just are stagnant all of a sudden. When they have a 27-point lead, they just stop. just pauses. And yeah, you could still win against teams like Washington when that's happening. But let's say Washington gets one more touchdown. All of a sudden, it's a tie game. The Cowboys lost. Or look at the chance of them losing. And it goes into overtime. Then they possibly lose. A great team. And let's be honest, Cowboys fans and just NFL fans expect this team to be great because, like I said, you look at the roster, it's phenomenal. A great team wouldn't have allowed Washington to outscore them 20-3 to in the second half. They wouldn't have. It, it hurts to watch this team struggle like this. Amari Cooper, a great route runner. CeeDee Lamb, a do-it-all receiver. Michael Gallup. A great deep threat. Tony Pollard, statistically one of the most consistent and one of the most efficient runners in the entire NFL. Zeke Elliott, a hard-to-bring-down solid running back who may not be as good as he was in the past. He's still very, very solid, especially for an RB2. Because I, I consider Tony Pollard the RB1 on this team because he's just been outperforming Zeke. But that, that's a really good running back duo. However you look at it, maybe he thinks he's better, whatever. The point is, that is a very good running back duo. Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, Leo Collins, those are the players on the offensive line. Those are three very good players. Trevon Diggs, a true playmaker at defensive back. Gallimore and Carlos Watkins, those are two really good run-stopping defensive linemen. Marcus Lawrence, still a dominant edge rusher. Randy Gregory, a player I was very high on entering the season. And he finally had that breakout year, and he's been playing damn well all year. All year. He's been huge for this team. And now the most recent victim of this underperforming waste of talent we, talk, we call the Dallas Cowboys, Micah Parsons, an extremely versatile defender who was by far the best rookie this year. He came into week 14 with 47 pressers, which is tied for 14th in the league, and everyone above him has at least 90 more rushes. That's crazy. That's unheard of. Let alone for a rookie, for just a player. That's unheard of. And that's why people are starting to throw him into the defensive player of the year conversation. 
despite him being a rookie. I get it. I don't like, I don't necessarily agree. I still think Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Darius Leonard, I still think those players are ahead of him. But still, I, he's a phenomenal player, especially for a rookie. But you look at all the talent this team has. It is absurd that they're nearly losing games to Washington, nearly losing games to the Saints. That is absurd. This team is way better than that. They're too good to be nearly losing to Kyle Allen and Washington. Way too good for that. Way too good. Let's move over to the 49ers playing against the Bengals. A very strange game where I believe the better team lost. Much like last week, it was the unlucky mistakes that really killed the Bengals in this game. Two fumbles, two detrimental fumbles. If you look at the way this game eventually went, they didn't have a way to stop Kittle. I think that was the big, big thing. I think that was the big theme and the big weakness that led to them losing this game, let alone the two turnovers over fumbles. Those hurt them enough. But the fact that they let George Kittle get 151 yards and one touchdown, and I don't blame them. I think they did as much as they could. They just don't have the personnel to stop him. And frankly, who does? George Kittle is an unstoppable force when he's healthy. The 49ers' offense revolves around just getting the ball in the hand of playmakers. They want Debo. They want Kittle. They want Brandon Ayuk. They want those guys having the ball. And it works. It works really well. Because those three players, especially Debo and Kittle, teams don't really know how to beat them. Because of all the unique schemes that Kyle Sanahan uses, and even when he's just using a simple play, they're just such athletic and just super strong freaks of nature. Teams don't know how to stop them. Zach Taylor, there was a part of the press conference with Zach Taylor where someone asked him about George Kittle and how he, you know, got 151 yards. And Zach Taylor was just like, yeah, I, I don't know how to beat him. Are you kidding me? We, we tried everything we could and we had no idea. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Like you could, if you were watching that game, they threw so many different things at Kittle and nothing stopped him. Nothing. Bring your safety down, Jesse Bates. Try and cover him with Jesse Bates, their best defensive player. Didn't matter. George Kittle just out-muscled him. Let's throw a linebacker at him. Logan Wilson, get out there. Try and cover him. He's too fast. He's he's too strong for the defensive backs and too fast for the linebackers. There's no way to beat him. And even when he's not getting the ball, he's such a good blocker, too. He's a big reason that that perimeter running game is just so good. Teams have no idea what to do about them. No idea. This was a very tight game. And despite their inability to stop George Kittle, they still took the game into overtime. And if it weren't for those two fumbles, they win. Other than CMC, I think that there is no other non-quarterback offensive player that is this important to their team. I would say... When healthy, George Kittle is the second best offensive weapon in the entire NFL. Yet again, not including quarterbacks. The Bengals don't know how to stop that, and they lost because of it. They lost because they didn't know how to stop one player. That's just the reality of the NFL. And that's why you got to give Kyle Shanahan credit, because as stupid as it may sound, there's a lot of coaches in this league that even if they have a mismatch like that, even if they have a player like that, that just dominates every play and it's just explosive and getting 151 yards, just having an insane performance. There's a lot of coaches in this league that don't take advantage. And even though it's working when they give them the ball, they'll just stop. You look, There's a lot of, as stupid as it is to think about it. I, I bet if you put Joe Judge or some coach like that, Urban Meyer, David Culley, you put them in this situation, I think that they stop giving Kittle the ball because not many, for some reason, not many coaches in this league understand the mentality of do what works. Too many coaches overthink it. And speaking of bad coaches, let's talk more about Urban Meyer, who's just been a wreck. This, this entire situation with him, just a train wreck. He's had one of the worst seasons coaching. 
on and off the field that I've ever seen. We keep getting reports of different interactions between Urban Meyer and players or coaches. Marvin Jones and him were arguing. Uh, and keep in mind, Marvin Jones is one of the most respected people in the entire locker room. Uh, Urban Meyer called a lot of his assistant coaches losers in a conference and then asked asked them about their career and their resume and asked them what they did to deserve to even be in his presence. How do you have to be that much of an egomaniac? I don't get it. I've never seen a coach with this type of ego. Especially, how do you have this type of ego when you're not even on a winning team? You're on the Jaguars. Insanity. Insanity. And then after, when someone asked him at a press conference, first off, he denied it. Second off, he said that whoever said it will be fired if he finds out who it is. It sounds like something from a movie. It sounds like some stereotypical antagonist from, like, a football movie. Like, there's no way he... It's amazing to think, like, damn, this is a real person. How do you have that big of a head? Now reports from Josh Lambeau, these emerged today, are coming out that he was being kicked by Urban Meyer in in pre-practice warm-ups. When he said, quote, hey, dipshit, make your fucking kicks. Oh, my. Maybe that's not true. Urban Meyer denied those two. But come on. you There's no way all three of these aren't true. There's no way there's this many people speaking out and it's just not true. It's hard to imagine that. He denied all three of these. And I, I don't see why. All these people would lie about this situation. Also, keep in mind, this is the same guy who signed 33-year-old Tim Tebow to a contract to play tight end and then fired him before the season start started. He also claimed Andre Sisco was getting more playing time even though he didn't even get a single snap on defense. He said he was getting more playing time on defense, although he didn't play a snap. It's like he's not even watching the games. And apparently this is like a reoccurring thing. That's the only example I have, but I've heard like it happened a lot. It's been like a common, I I haven't listened to all of his press conferences, but apparently this is, there's been a lot of like contradictory things he said in his press conferences. Just a lot of things that were just straight up lies in the press conferences. And I'm not even going to mention some like the stuff he did earlier in the year with the girl after an embarrassing loss, dancing with her, and then his absurd misusage of James Robinson. I'm not even going to get into that because I, I feel like there's already enough evidence for me to just say the guy should be fired. When coaches come into this league and then just treat all the other pro athletes, all the other professionals, like children, and just act like he's above everyone. No one's gonna like him, and it's not like it's not like the team's playing well under him either. They've two wins. He hasn't led the team to much success. He has been a huge distraction for the team, and also doesn't seem like any of the players like him. There's no reason for him to stick around. No reason whatsoever. Anyway, we'll be back to the Goal Line Podcast. When I return, I'll be going over my rapid-fire takeaways, and then I'll go over my top 10 teams in the league after this short break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. I said in the last segment that I would start talking about my rapid-fire takeaways right here which is a weekly segment I've been doing for, I believe, the past five weeks. Uh, It's for the takeaways that I don't really think I can go into much detail on and go into enough detail on for me to have a full segment on it. So I'm just going to make them real choppy, you know, just 
Here's the gist of it. On to the next one type of deal. Uh, the first one I want to talk about. The Broncos running game is top-notch, and no one is talking about it. Melvin Gordon had 24 carries for 111 yards with two touchdowns. Javonta Williams had 15 carries with 73 yards and one touchdown. Those are some good numbers. All right. Earlier in the year, we knew the Broncos as this team that was very efficient throwing the ball with Teddy Bridgewater, Cortland Shot, and Jerry Judy. Just very efficient. The running game was all right, but nothing to ride home about. Now, completely different story. Their passing game, you know, it could get the job done. But Javonta Williams and Melvin Gordon, those are the real stars of the offense, all right? This team. Maybe it's not, you know, the most flashy. Maybe their offense isn't super flashy, but they get the job done. They are efficient. That's how it's been all year, and that's how Vic Fangio seems to like it. We went into the season thinking Vic Fangio was going to be on a hot seat. It doesn't seem that way right now. Vic Fangio has done a very good job defensively and offensively. Is he having some amazing season? No, but the Broncos are a better team this year than they were last year, and that's all they asked for. This team will take huge strides in the future, but as of now, they're a team with a good running game and a solid defense. That's really all it is. Maybe they sneak into the playoffs, but it doesn't seem that way right now. Now, let's move on to another takeaway. With the Giants, Joe Judge should be done after this year. I think it's official. We all kind of knew it going into this week, but now we know for sure. With that terrible performance against the Chargers, I mean, it's hard to say that he should keep his job. It really is. I get it's only his second year as a head coach and everything, but has the team improved at all under him? No, it doesn't seem that way. To say that you're encouraged by a terrible performance like that is just unacceptable. The Giants need to show something in the next couple of weeks because as of right now, I I have no idea what he has possibly done for the team over this past two years. They haven't improved at all, and that was the goal. You know, as long as the Giants are in a place right now where as long as they're improving, fans will be happy. They've been in a period of mediocrity for so long now. Fans just want to see them take some kind of step forward. That's why you saw, I'm not sure how many people live in New York, but I do. And I've seen so many Giants fans be so happy last year because their defense just looked, maybe it didn't look amazing, but it looked better than they're used to or better than it's been for a very long time. That's all fans want to see for now. They just want to see steps in the right direction, just something they haven't seen yet. This Giants team, it's the same Giants team they were before they got Judge. The team hasn't improved since the Shermer period of coaching. The team hasn't improved much. It's still about the same team. They haven't taken steps forward, and that's all Joe Judge had to do, which is a decently low bar, and he blew it. Unless we see some amazing things with this Giants team in the next couple of weeks, he's out of there, or at least he should be. My next takeaway. Rashad Penny is the lead back on the Seahawks. With Chris Carson out and Adrian Peterson out, this running game is led by Rashad Penny. Not Alex Collins. Alex Collins, he's gotten a lot of carries, and he hasn't really done much. All right? Rashad Penny is the guy for the team. He had 137 yards on 16 carries with two touchdowns. I I get it. They were playing against Houston, so it's very easy to play well against them. I understand that. But that's still an impressive stat line, nevertheless. It it was an easy game for him, okay? But even while when Alex Collins was getting the carries, he didn't do much. He had seven carries, I believe, against Houston. He didn't do much. They need someone to lead the charge, and I think Rashad Penny is the guy. He's nothing. He's not much. He isn't very special in any way. He's not electric, but he gets the job done or done well enough for at least when Chris Carson's out. 
the Browns offense is extremely disappointing. Extremely disappointing. Yet another running back that's just struggling. Nick Chubb hasn't been the dominant force we all expected him to be. He he averaged below four yards in each of his past two games, which were both against the Ravens. And especially in the most recent game, if they just had, yeah, they won. Okay, but was it really because their offense? No. Most of their, not most, but a lot, a large portion of their scoring came from their defense with Miles Garrett getting that touchdown. Chubb and just the overall Browns running game hasn't been good enough. And we all know Baker just isn't the guy. I don't want to say that he's not the guy necessarily, but he's definitely having a down year. So he can't really do much. They need someone to step up. And everyone's taken steps down since last year. Baker Mayfield. We were all praising him as finally the Browns got a franchise quarterback. Finally, it's about time. Took them so long, but they finally did it. Doesn't look that way right now. And this team was led by its running game. Led by its running game. But here they are. And their running game is not all that good. And overall, that just leads to a bad offense. When your team is based around and your play calling is built around your running game being dominant, being very good, and it's not, you're kind of screwed. All of a sudden, your offense can't do much. And you nearly lose to Tyler Huntley and the Ravens. Speaking of the Ravens, they are too injured to make the playoffs. They make it to the playoffs, they are getting crushed. Let's be honest, this team, this entire offense was Lamar Jackson. With him gone, and we don't even know how much time he's going to miss, but he may miss this week and he may miss the week after that. With him gone, this offense will barely be watchable. Barely. Maybe they get 17 points. Like, with, without Lamar Jackson, with all the injuries, like, let's not forget their top three running backs are out for the season. And now their quarterback's injured. The wide receivers, I mean, they took steps up, but the, the scheme isn't designed for them to throw the ball. They like to run it. And without Lamar Jackson, without J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, without all those guys... The offense is not going to be very efficient, not going to be very productive. And the defense with 12 players on the IR, including Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, it's not going to be very good either. Next takeaway, Zach Wilson shouldn't – I think it's clear now. Yeah, it's hard to – Bench a young quarterback. But I I think the more you play him, the more and more Jets fans are just going to want him out. And I, I don't see many Jets fans, you know, saying he shouldn't be there. And I don't see many football fans saying that he's a bad quarterback. And I, I mean, I see a couple, but not too many. But I, I think with how bad he's been, maybe just throw Joe Flacco in, you know, have him just learn a bit, have him be like, this is a veteran quarterback. This is what I want to strive to do. I want to manage the game better. I don't want to turn the ball over. Have him just learn a little bit more. You don't necessarily have to bench him. Just The Jets should make sure Wilson is just taking steps forward, whether that's learning from Flacco on the bench or just anything, because he hasn't. He hasn't improved much over the year. He's shown flashes of a good quarterback. He definitely has. And I still think he has the athletic ability, the arm power, everything that you need to be an elite quarterback in this game. But he's been very far from elite throughout this year. He has not been good at all. Yet again, I I think that he could be very good one day. I think he definitely has potential, but he hasn't improved much. 
I'm just saying I'm just saying the process has been really slow for him. Really, really slow. And I mean they have other options. They have Flacco. Just have the young guy learn a little bit. I made a video about it on TikTok. I c- a lot of people compared Zach Wilson to Mahomes unfairly. That's setting the bar way too high. And I think they play very similarly. And I'll admit, I was one of the people who said he plays a lot like Mahomes. Was I comparing him to Mahomes? Eh. I mean, I guess, but I, I wasn't expecting him to be Mahomes. I was expecting him to be a player that plays a lot like him. And the problem was people expected him to just come out, you know, first year and just light it up like Herbert did, like Baker Mayfield did his rookie year. Not everyone's Justin Herbert and Baker Mayfield. People need to learn rookie quarterbacks aren't always ready to start right away. You're not going to have many Mac Jones. Not many Mac Joneses. He's a raw quarterback. It's fine for him to ride the bench for a year and just learn. It's too late for them to you know, have him ride the bench the whole year now because he's already had 14 weeks of him being named the starting quarterback. Even if he's injured, he was still, you know, the quarterback one when healthy. But the bar has been set way too high, way too high for rookie quarterbacks. Not all of them can start right away, and that's fine. Zach Wilson is just another example of this. He has the ability to be a very good quarterback. But I was saying with Mahomes thing, Mahomes didn't do anything his rookie year. He rode the bench for most of the year and started in one game. He played kind of all right, I guess, in that one game. But he was learning from Alex Smith, and that's part of the reason the next year he had an MVP season. Because he learned from one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL at that time. Joe Flacco, he's a very smart quarterback. He's been in the league for a very long time. Having Zach Wilson, a young Zach Wilson, who has all the athletic talent in the world, learn from a player like Joe Flacco at this point in his career is a very smart strategy. I don't know why they didn't do it. And although it would hurt his confidence, I think benching Zach Wilson right here wouldn't be the stupidest thing. Even though it might hurt his confidence a little bit, he needs to learn. And clearly having him out there, having first-hand action, isn't helping him. All right, my next takeaway is that the Chiefs now have an amazing offense with their spectacular defense. I said in last week's episode that the Chiefs, Defense is the key to their team, which was very different from how it's been over the past couple of years before this year. But for once, the the offense actually wasn't really the the main aspect of the team. The defense was what was lighting up with Chris Jones. I mean, they were holding teams to very few points on a constant basis recently, and they still are doing that. But now they have the offense to pair with it. So now you have... Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey getting, you know, 35-point games on repeatedly with their defense, which is allowing, like, 14 points per game. That That is extremely difficult to beat, obviously. But I think the very, the very key thing and the reason that the offense is playing so well, it's because they notice how much talent they have. These five-yard gains on most teams, you know, these easy concepts, these spacing, and you know, just small curls across the middle that would normally be five yards for any normal team are going for 15 yards with us because we have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. The five-yard gains are 15-yard gains because of the talent that this team has. And because of that, their offense, you know, they could just – Use simple concepts and have huge gains from it. With that defense playing phenomenal, this is this is going to be a tough team to beat. And what makes it worse, this is actually a better team than we thought that they were going to be at the start of the year. Even though they had that hump, you know they had that slow start. They're a better team right now, I think, 
than we all expected them to be before that, you know, slope or that slow period of the season. Because now they have the offense we expected. And their defense is about 10 times better than we all expected. Come on. <laughs> this is a really good football team. They came they came out of that slow couple of weeks even better than they were. Next takeaway. Now, this one, I, I still find it fascinating that I'm putting this here. But let's not completely rule out the Falcons. I don't think that they're going to be a playoff team. I still don't. But, I mean, they're 6-7, and seven, which is not a phenomenal record, not even a good record. But it's hard to completely rule them out yet. With how electric Cordell Patterson is, I never thought that I would be saying this, but with how electric Cordell Patterson has been this year, uh, I mean, he's single-handedly carrying this team due to an amazing coaching job by Arthur Smith and this miraculous breakout season from Cordell Patterson. The Falcons have a realistic shot at sneaking into the the playoffs with the seventh seed and then getting killed in the first round, obviously. But, I mean, the defense is somewhat solid. Somewhat. A.J. Terrell. I'm not, now, I'm not saying it's good, but it's not the Jaguars' defense. It's not as bad as I thought. It's not, yet again, not good. But it could be much, much worse. And Matt Ryan's playing decent. Just overall, the team is the definition of average. But they're they're getting stuff done. Their defense isn't very good. Their offense isn't very good. But they're somehow still winning games. It's I I said that was the definition of average. That's that's taking it lightly. That's the best I could say for them. They're. Like, you look at their scoring offense, their scoring defense, points per game, points allowed. They're not doing well in those categories, but they are still 6-7. and seven. That's almost 500. They could sneak. I, I mean, they have no place being in the playoffs whatsoever. They are not a playoff caliber team. But it, it is very possible that somehow, Lord knows how, this team sneaks into the playoffs. And gets blown out in the first round. Next takeaway. Panthers have the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Not really much of a secret. I think everyone agrees on this. But even when Darnold's healthy, he's not a QB1. And yet again, we were reminded why Cam Newton didn't have a job a month ago. And why P.J. Walker was in the XFL around a year ago. (laughs) Or two years ago, actually. Wow, that was two years ago. That's crazy. Out of 35 attempts, P.J. Walker and Cam Newton combined completed 21 of them. 21. And they had a touchdown and two interceptions in a close game between the Panthers and Falcons. The Panthers win that game if their quarterbacks are even remotely competent, but instead they have P.J. Walker and Cam Newton playing. Cam Newton, I think it's safe to say he doesn't deserve a job in the NFL anymore. I think it's safe to say that with how poorly he's played. And now let's move to our top 10 teams of the week. This is also a weekly segment that I've been doing, and this one has existed for a little bit longer than the rapid-fire takeaways. And, I, I mean, it's safe to say they changed a lot during the past couple of weeks. My number 10 this week, it's a swap between the 49ers and Bengals. I said last week that the 49ers, or sorry, the Bengals were just barely out of there. This week, the 49ers are just barely out of there. And I I know it's crazy to think about that. The 49ers just beat the Bengals, so why do I have the Bengals ahead of them? Well, the thing is, I think that the Bengals played a better football game than them. The Bengals just had two really, really unlucky fumbles against them, all right? 
I think the Bengals, nine times out of ten, win that game. Even though they couldn't stop George Kittle, they still should have won that game. In fact, they almost won in overtime. If Joe Burrow doesn't get sacked, or if if they didn't run the ball two times before that because they're they're passing, it was electric at that point. They win in overtime. The Bengals have a very good roster on their hands. I think that they have the best receiver core in football. Other than a fully healthy Rams team with Robert Woods, OBJ, and Cooper Cup. And I think it's kind of close between the Buccaneers and Bengals. And yet again, if the Buccaneers were fully healthy with Antonio Brown, then... The Buccaneers are probably ahead of them. But anyway, right now, okay, right now, the Bengals have the best receiver core in football. Jamar Chase, he is a stud. There was one point where we all had him as the faraway favorite for offensive rookie of the year, and some of you guys still prefer him over Cam Newton. T. Higgins has been a monster this year, and no one is talking about it. T. Higgins has had a really, really good season, especially recently. He's put up, like, around 100 receiving yards in, like, each of the past three weeks, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong, but... And then Tyler Boyd, he's also a very good receiver just to go across the middle, someone you could throw the ball to, a reliable target. Joe Burrow, a great quarterback. The defense has been much better than everyone expected, and it's pretty damn good. Even though they have no idea how to stop George Kittle, it's still a very, very good defense. Let's move on to number nine. A team that fell one spot, the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that they played poorly against the Buccaneers. I just think the Buccaneers are a really, really good team. The Bills only fell one spot because I don't think that they played a bad game. Even though they, I don't, I'm pretty sure they like didn't run the ball once in the first half or something like that. Other than with Josh Allen. But yeah, I'm hoping Josh Allen's healthy for this week. But the Bills are a good football team. Okay, don't don't get it twisted. Even though their running game is mind-bogglingly bad. They make up for it with an electric passing game and a phenomenal defense. A superb defense. I I mean, it's great. It's a great football team. Sean Sean McDermott, he's done a very, very good job. And even though right now they're, I, I believe, like, are they the five seed, six seed, something like that. But they're, like, on the cusp of possibly missing the playoffs. They're going to make it, and they're going to be way better than their seeding may make you think. Their record isn't great, but they're a good football team. It's just occasionally they play really poorly. and They've done that a couple of times, but I don't think that Buccaneers game was one of those times. Let's move on to my number eight. The Chargers. Justin Herbert, I think, solidified himself as a top five quarterback in this league. Against that, against that Giants team. Mike Williams is arguably the best 50-50 ball receiver in the entire NFL. He's been so good at it. And now that they're going to have Keenan Allen coming back soon. Just a really good team. Sante Samuel has had a really good rookie season. Joey Bosa, Derwin James. Brandon Staley has done a really good job coaching this team. But I I think the main star of the show, and like most teams, the quarterback is the star, is Justin Herbert. He just throws lasers. He can make every single throw. My goodness. it's I mean, there was a throw, I think it was to Jalen Guyton. And he led him like 30 yards down the field. He has a rocket arm. And he's he's insanely accurate, too. My number seven, Indianapolis Colts. They had a bye week, but I think that game between them and the Patriots is going to be really, really good. 
Jonathan Taylor, best healthy running back in the league. Carson Wentz is, has been a good quarterback. Darius Leonard, I think he's a contender for Defensive Player of the Year. Just a really good team. Frank Reich has done a... I keep saying with all these teams that the coaches have done a good job. but That's just how it is. The good teams are the teams with the good coaches. And Frank Reich is another good coach. The offensive line is spectacular too. That's part of the reason Jonathan Taylor has been so successful. Because of who he has blocking for him. Because of Quinn and Nelson. Because of Eric Fisher. Because of these guys. That's why, that's why he's able to be so good. Even though he has all the talent in the world, he has those big guys blocking up front for him. Next up, the Rams. Number six. This team returned back to the dominant force we all expected them to be. They have so much talent, and now they're actually starting to use it, too. I think the main difference between this team now and this team when they were losing is that they finally realized what their identity is. Okay, Earlier, they were trying to win games the Stafford way. They were trying to adjust to how Stafford likes to play. They, you know, went in a lot of shotgun, tried to play like a spread offense type of deal. That's not Sean McVay's offense, okay? Sean McVay likes to go under center, run the ball a lot, and then once you got the running game established, then you pull out play action and then you throw that beautiful deep ball with Matthew Stafford's all-time great arm 60 yards down the field to Cooper Cup, to OBJ, to Van Jefferson. That's how he wants to run this team. And that's why they're winning now. Because they have Sony Massell getting 24 carries and more than 100 yards. That's why they're winning now. That's why they're able to go toe-to-toe with the Cardinals and win. Because now they're calling the plays that... Are, are they what Stafford loves? No. But they work. And Stafford is executing them fine. In the past, it was what Stafford likes with a little bit of McVay. A little. But now, it's McVay's offense with a little bit of what Stafford likes. And that seems to work way better. Number five, we're halfway through. The Packers. Yeah, so they have fell a little bit. Maybe not, but I think the teams ahead of them have had such good games, except... One of them, which lost this week. But I think the teams ahead of them have had such good games that I had to have them rise into the top three. The Packers didn't lose this week, which is good. But I I think there was a point in the game around halftime where the game was just too close for my liking. And I think that's why I had to have them fall. I still think that they're one of the best teams in the NFL. And I wouldn't have a problem with you putting them at number one. That puts into perspective how close these teams are. But I think the teams ahead of them are just really good. But the Packers, let's not undersell how good they are. Because I just said you can make an argument for their for them being the best team in the NFL. Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football. Matt LaFleur, I would say he's second in the league in coach of the year. Aaron Rodgers might be the best quarterback in the NFL and possibly the MVP. This is a football team that I think can go toe-to-toe with anyone and beat them and be sometimes even beat them with ease. Some of the throws Rodgers is making at his age are crazy. And Matt LaFleur designs the offense really well. The defense is good. I mean, this is a good football team. I'm not going to undersell that. It's just the four teams I have ahead of them are just a little bit better, I think. One of them being the Cardinals, who they beat earlier in the year. And who lost this week, but I had them at number one last week. I can't have them fall too far because they didn't play too poorly against the Rams. It's just the Rams played a really good game, and they didn't exactly play their best. James Conner, he's been a very underrated shining because now this air raid offense has a running game to it. That's the key to some of these teams. That's the key. DeAndre Hopkins, he might be out this week, but he's a talented receiver. Kyler Murray is a Super good quarterback. Super good. The defense. 
No one expected the defense to be one of the best in the NFL, but here it is. Here it is. I mean, they're playing very good football. This entire Cardinals team. Cliff Kingsbury proven everyone wrong. Proven he had no reason to be on the hot seat this year. And my number two, the Buccaneers. I just said earlier, when these air raid teams are getting an actual running game that they could establish, that's when they become truly dominant. The Cardinals are one example. The Buccaneers are another. Leonard Fournette, has he's been the true difference for this team. Okay, I said it earlier in the podcast. I said it at the start. The team with Leonard Fournette, that is the difference between who they were last year and who they were this year. I'm not going to go on more about it because I already went on about the team earlier. But number one, they had a bye week, the New England Patriots. I'm holding on to it. I've had them at number one for a very long time now. I didn't have them at number one last week. But except for that, I think like four of the past five weeks, I've had them at number one. And it's because they're a super well-coached team. They may not have the talent that any of the other teams on this list have, but they are a good football team. Their offensive line is phenomenal. Mac Jones executes. Kendrick Bourne executes. Damian Harris executes. The in Everyone on the offense, they might not be overly talented. They may not be super strong. They may not be able to win every jump ball, but they execute. And that's all Belichick and Josh McDaniels want. That's the key. If you have a good coach and then you just have players that are willing to execute, though, that's how you make a good football team. You don't need to have all the talent in the world like the Buccaneers. If you have good coaching, it makes up for your lack of talent. That's all we have for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. I'll see you next week.